Welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. This is our second interview special from the Slush Conference in Helsinki. I am Andrei Degler, the host and producer of the show. This episode is kindly sponsored by Google Cloud for startups and is part of an exclusive interview series with prominent people in tech, which we recorded live at Slush 2019. If you don't want to miss the rest of the interviews, and we have quite a bunch coming up, do subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. So in today's episode, I wanted to feature two conversations which we recorded in the Google Cloud podcast booth on the first day of Slush. So let's get to it. The first interview is with Valentina Milanova, the founder of Day, which is a female health startup that has already raised 5.5 million US dollars for its products. So what is Day and what kind of products is it working on? We're starting by reinventing the feminine hygiene tampon, a product that has been massively overlooked for the past 70 years since it was first invented. We manufacture in-house and we have our own proprietary design. We also add a therapeutic agent called CBD, cannabidiol, Mm -hmm. to the tampon uh, to make it pain-relieving, so effective against cramps. Nine out of ten women in the world experience menstrual cramps every month, yet the only treatment that we have for that is ibuprofen, which was never designed for women, and it was also never tested on women, because women were only allowed to participate in clinical trials in 1993, and ibuprofen was made available before then. Right. So uh, before we go into uh, day itself, uh, what is your own background? What is it you, you, that you did before uh, starting the company? studied law and economics in the UK um, and then had a short career in journalism uh, before right. I went to really early stage startups. Interesting. So is this your first company that you started? Yeah, I'm a first time founder. Interesting. And you don't really have any background as far as I understand in like biotech or medtech no, or anything? No, I, I hire for it. Right. So how far are you on this uh, journey right now then? We launched our first box uh, at the end of August and I started the company a year ago. Uh, I raised the first seed money for the company in September last year. And what do you mean by uh, launching the first box? We sent our first tampon box to consumers. Okay, so is it actually possible to buy your tampons like on the market right now? We have a large waiting list and we're serving right. the people on the waiting list first. We have a limited amount of boxes that we can manufacture every month because we do it in-house in Bermondsey in South London. Over the next year, we'll be able to service everyone who wants to buy a day box. Right. This is really interesting though. So what is different with day? Like, How is it different from the stuff that you can buy uh, off the shelf in a, in a supermarket? Our design has something called a protective sleeve, uh, which is a way to prevent an issue with tampons called fiber loss. Mm -hmm. So fiber loss is much more commonly experienced by women than toxic shock syndrome, but much less frequently talked about. And our protective sleeve fully prevents fiber loss. We're also the only company to treat their tampons as if they were medical devices. Medical devices don't include tampons in Europe. So things like sanitizers, hand sanitizers and plasters are more regulated and produced in stricter environments than than tampons. So we treat our tampons as if they were medical devices in the production. And we use fully compostable, fully sustainable packaging. So our wrappers are made from a special material which fully decomposes in your home compost. You don't need a special compost trash in your Mm -hmm. house. Um, and of course, we add the pain relieving agent to the tampon. Right. So, and uh, it's made of hemp, right? That's what I read at least. 
So we have one version of the tampon which is not out yet, which is mm-hmm. made from cottonized hemp fibers, uh, which are more absorbent, they're more environmentally sustainable than cotton. Mm-hmm. But our first version, V1, is made from uh, lab-tested cotton fibers. Right, understood now. And you mentioned that it is not a medical product, which means that you don't really need like certification and all that kind of thing. We're proactively asking for a certification, even though tampons are not categorized as medical devices. So we, we treat our supply chain, our manufacturing, our production as if we were a medical device, but we can't get a medical device certification because of this odd category that we sit within. Right. So how, how has your own personal, say, uh, journey uh, been so far? So like... Uh, What were the milestones, like pivotal moments uh, in it uh, from, from the start, from the university and uh, uh, till this point? It's been fascinating. Um, it's been a very intense year for me in terms of the personal growth and learnings that I've had the fortune to experience. It blows me away to think about being a single founder a year ago and single person company and going to San Francisco to meet investors on no budget at all. So flying Wow Air, which doesn't even exist anymore. And then taking the cow train every day to Palo Alto and walking to Mountain View to meet all of these big name VCs. And today I have a team of 25 people who are all extremely talented at what they do. And I, I'm very fortunate to learn every day in so many different areas because the company has design engineering, clinical, regulatory. We do the brand in-house as well. So We're equally passionate about being clinically validated and scientifically backed, but also having this really creative brand that celebrates womanhood and emits joy when you look at it. So our brand thesis is the scientist meets the dreamer. Um, and I think that's a good definition of what happened to me over the past year. I had a lot of dreams of what I wanted the company to be. And I met a few scientists along the way who helped me get it there. Great. So yeah, I think you mentioned in a previous interview that you have conducted uh, tests on actual women so th- th- that you have a proof that uh, what you're doing actually works. So how did you, how were you able to do that? Um, so we did randomized control clinical trials, which is the golden standard in clinical validation. And we still have one third clinical trial that's underway right now. So, so far we've had 120 women try the product in a clinical setting and an additional 80 are trying it right now. And the idea is to measure the tampon's effectiveness for pain relief and also compare how our effectiveness for pain relief compares next to ibuprofen and next to traditional analgesics. And what uh, what have the results been like so far? Very positive. Right. So, and uh, what I also wanted to say... It's extremely expensive doing these tests, right? So how did you how did you fund it? Is it uh, part of uh, uh, the money that you raised? Did you spend uh, spend it on that? So before I fundraised, I used my credit cards to finance the initial clinical validation of the product. Um, we do our first trials in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bulgaria is where I'm from, and it's also a very interesting emerging biotech hub um, that allows for very cost-effective clinical validation. And from that preliminary data, we're able to attract the interest of large research universities and large research institutions to do further, bigger trials. So from the data that we got in the Bulgarian clinical trial facility, we were able to establish a relationship with Liverpool Women's Hospital, the largest women's health hospital in the UK, uh, where we're conducting further validation now. But this is all voluntary. So clinical trials are not required for tampons. Right. Um, it's something that we wanted to do in order to really be able to make science claims for our product. Right. So your tests have shown that uh, uh, your product actually works better in terms of pain relief than ibuprofen when women have periods. It's on par with analgesics, right. but performs faster 
Okay. So you feel the effect sooner. And in terms of the intensity of the pain relief, it's on par with ibuprofen and analgesics. Okay, this is great. And uh, how much does it cost, actually? So we have two options. One of them is to buy only naked tampons, so only the tampons without CBD if you don't have period pain, and that's mm-hmm. £9 per month. Um, and then if you want to buy a box of CBD and naked, so for the days of pain that you have and for the days without pain, that's £14 per month. Okay. And uh, how does it uh, compare to the uh, prices of the products uh, on the shelves of supermarkets? Our product is definitely more expensive than uh, what you find in a supermarket. So we adopt a fully transparent supply chain where every one of our consumers can go and see exactly how much it costs to sanitize our tampons, how much it costs to offset the CO2 emissions from deliveries, how much it costs to use compostable packaging, to do batch testing, to produce in a clean room. So we really lift the curtain and lift the veil on manufacturing and and, and the costs that are associated with bringing a higher quality product to market. Right. And are you posting your uh, products now globally or is it a Europe only? London only. London only. Why so? We're very cautious and careful in the way that we roll out because we do everything in-house. So we built our own machines in order to make our own products. We've moved very, very fast over the past year, but we need to be cautious with how much our machines can take and also how much our team and our operations can can scale in, in, in such a short amount of time. So as I said, we have 25 people um, in the company today. Two of them are focused only on production. So two of them are the machine operators. We also do the picking and packing in-house. So everyday box is fully made in-house. Um, and we're very proud to be working with a charity called Working Chance, which gives women that used to be part of the prison system a chance to gain meaningful employment. Um, but over the next 12 months, we'll be moving from a pilot production, which we have right now in, in Bermondsey in London, to a full-scale factory, and we'll be able to service everyone who wants to try our product. Right. And where do you want to produce it on the industrial scale? Is it going to be also in the UK? That's what we're looking at right now, yes, the UK. Right. Okay, so let's move to the bigger vision. So, Because as far as I understand, this, this was just the first product uh, that uh, you're working on. What's your... End game, like for uh, for a day. What is it going to be? Can't share a lot of details and specifics because we haven't rolled it out yet. But we're active in a few different areas where we've identified a lack of innovation. And our thesis is that we want to take the profits from manufacturing in house and reinvest them continuously into further product development and further innovation. Right. So is it? But is it all going to be within the uh, feminine hygiene industry, or is within are going the women's health space? Women's health. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did you actually arrive to this uh, topic, though? Because like you, you, you never uh, worked uh, within uh, this uh, kind of direction b- before you started. Did you have different ideas? Did you like try something else before uh, starting this? I was reading a bunch of papers on industrial hemp, right. um, which is a plant that used to be very popular and very well produced in Bulgaria, where I'm from originally. So Bulgaria used to be the number one producer and exporter of industrial hemp All right. in the Soviet times. And, and before that. And there was a research center dedicated to industrial hemp in Bulgaria, which produced a lot of research papers. CBD was actually interestingly synthesized by a Bulgarian scientist for, for the first time. Hmm. So as I was reading about this plant, two of its properties really stuck with me. The first one was that the fibers are more absorbent. And the second one was that the extract from the flower of the same plant is analgesic, anti-inflammatory. Um, and I had the idea of putting these two properties together into one unified product that would serve two purposes. The first purpose is to provide pain relief through the vaginal mucosa 
and the second one being absorbing menstrual fluid in a better way. Right. This is this is really interesting, and it's but it's not the first uh, product like this, right? So you have competitors in this uh, field, don't you? It's the first pain relieving tampon, um, and we've patented it. There's a company in London that advises people to drop CBD onto their tampon. Mm-hmm. We've devised a technology that ensures that the coating of the CBD stays on top of the tampon rather than soaking back in. Oh, okay, I see. So was it hard to to raise money for this? I pitched about 180 investors before I was able to raise the first round for day. I think as a single founder and single person company, and I also had a full-time job while I was fundraising it. So we red flags easy. right away. Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised anyone took a meeting at all. Um, but the way that I structured my fundraising process is I actually trained myself and perfected my pitch on investors that I knew I didn't want to take money from. Um, so I pitched all everyone and anyone that I could find, right. anyone that would listen to me. I went to Copenhagen, Paris, Portugal, San Francisco. I met everyone in London. And that really helped me clarify the business model and where I wanted to take the company. And at the end of summer 2018, I was very fortunate that someone from Index Ventures returned my LinkedIn message and invited me to to pitch. And Index gave me the first term sheet for day. Right. So what are your main challenges uh, right now? So right now I'm I'm really I'm feeling a lot of mom guilt when I leave the office and I have to travel a lot for, you know, the various partnerships that we have around the world and hiring in America, etc. So whenever I'm not in London and I'm not with the core team, I struggle like today. So Really just focusing on the team and focusing on team happiness and making sure that everyone that's recruited for a day is put on a pathway where they can excel, where they feel happy and content and fulfilled in their work. What we do is very complicated and requires a lot of long hours and a lot of hard work and focus and dedication. And I want to make sure that people are properly compensated, not only financially, but also in the way that their work is recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, something that I'm focusing on right now, being the best manager that I can be, being the best team leader that I can be, and being the best thought partner to all of my heads of various sections of day. Right. You mentioned hiring in the U.S. Whom are you hiring there? We will be launching in the U.S. after we obtain an FDA approval, and we're Mm -hmm. hoping to obtain an FDA approval over the next 12 months. So we're starting to look at a general manager for America. Is this going to be your uh, focus market? Europe is going to be our focus market. Okay. Yeah. Europe um, and then the uh, US. Yeah. I see. Okay, great. I guess this is this is it for my questions. Awesome. Thank so you. thank you so much, Valentina, and thank you. Uh, good my luck pleasure. with day. Thank you so much. Now let us move from health tech to urban planning and architecture. The next guest of our podcast booth is Carl Christensen, the co-founder and CTO at a startup called Spacemaker. We recorded this one together with David Rolden, uh, the head of Google Cloud for Startups in Europe. And first things first, let us start with a question that looks quite simple but may actually require some digging. What is it that Spacemaker is actually doing? Spacemaker is on a mission to build better and more sustainable cities. And uh, we're doing that by building a cloud-based computational design platform with uh, artificial intelligence and analytics to help real estate developers and architects find the best ways to build sites in urban areas. Right. And now in plain English. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> that's the hard thing about what we do. So we basically help uh, the people that build cities to build them better and more sustainably in, in the light of urban growth and climate change that are facing cities all over the world, if, right. that, if that's easier to understand. <laughs> and where are you based? Uh, we started in Oslo, so our headquarters is in Oslo, and now we have offices in uh, several places in Europe and in Boston as well. Right, that's interesting. Uh, how big is the company now then? Uh, so we started uh, almost exactly three years ago, and uh, we're now a little more than 100. Most of them are based in Oslo and, and predominantly still product team, but we're ha- we have a growing base of uh, commercial and, and sales as well. Right. Okay, so just uh, still trying to understand what exactly you're doing. So who is your target audience? Uh, Who is your product for? Yeah, so uh, just to give an example, uh, when a real estate developer wants to develop a site with housing in an urban area, they have to solve a lot of difficult problems and handle constraints and take care of the city that's there already and the people that's going to live in the houses, but they also have to make the development profitable for themselves. Um, so there's a lot of constraints and requirements from a lot of different stakeholders. So they hire, of course, an architect and, uh, and urban planners and engineers and project managers, a lot of different people. And they try to come together to f- come up with a good solution. And they have no digital way of doing that. They mm-hmm. use different tools and different methods, which makes it really hard to solve. So we, uh, we're putting all of these uh, needs and the need for understanding the physical environment um, and all of these different, uh, really, really hard calculations that you have to do to understand the world, like noise and wind and all of these things, into one platform that makes it all very accessible and easy for people to work together and see kind of the consequences of different um, solutions, but also generating solutions for them to find kind of what are the best ways to develop this site to take into account all of these diff- really, really difficult requirements. This sounds incredibly complicated. So how long did it take to build the platform? Well, it's uh, like I said, we started three years ago. So it's, it's been a lot of hard work. <laughs> Basically, we started first with, with customers um, to find customers that would be willing to pay for it if it existed. Um, and then we started working on building kind of a, a seed of this uh, that we sold through consulting. So it wasn't a product per se. It was me and a few data scientists we hired that built kind of a core. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when we saw that that could create value, uh, we built it into a self-service product that we launched about a year ago. And then we learned a lot from that that we put into a new, more self-service product, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, that could handle even more stakeholders that we, uh, we came up with this fall. And that's uh, doing really well right now. Did you have to raise funding along the way? Yes, we raised um, our uh, Series A uh, round um, early this summer. And we raised $25 million from uh, Atomico and Northzone and mm-hmm. Ronald Ventures and others. And, and Carl, uh, are you going directly to uh, engineering firms themselves? Yeah, that's a good question. So the thing is that uh, real estate development is very capital intensive. So it's always someone, someone kind of paying for everything. So the engineers, the construct, construction uh, company, the contractor, uh, the architects, all of them get paid by the investor, which is usually the real estate developer. So the real estate developer kind of controls the process. So that's why we went straight to that source, because we think that we need to create a platform for all of these stakeholders. So we, our predominant customer is the investor and the real estate developer, and they provide this kind of free of charge to all of the stakeholders, even also in in many cases, the municipality themselves get access to the platform. But we're also working with architecture firms and engineering firms to kind of improve their 
user experience and uh, kind of how they can create value into the platform. But that's mostly R&D participations at this point. It's it's pretty incredible, especially when you think about uh, there's a lot of studies these days that are talking more and more about people moving back into urban areas. And that's starting to have a compound effect issue, if you will. Are you are are you seeing a lot of that materialize in the work that you are all doing? Yes, it's it's something that people when you're into this space, you really see it. Right. (laughs) But people aren't aware that in the next 30 years, there'll be two and a half billion more people in the world cities. So every month, there is a New York built somewhere in the world. Every month. And it, that's happening now, and it'll wow. be ha- happening for the next 30 years. And people are just not aware that this this is kind of happening in the cities. So the world cities are not equipped for that. Um, and at the same time, 40%, almost half of all carbon emissions come from buildings, uh, which people are not aware of either. Um, so you, kind of, you need to build much more. <laughs> and you also have growing energy demands. Um, so this has to change, basically. And the construction industry is the least digitized industry in the world. Hunting and farming is more digital. And it's also the least productive. It has had a negative productivity growth the, mm-hmm. for the last decade. So this has to change fundamentally. And uh, we really believe that kind of creating a digital value chain in the planning phase is one of the kind of fundamental ways to approach this. So if the construction industry is the least digitized, why that's a good question. One, one, the, the, I guess there are like two really strong reasons for that. One is that it's insanely complex. So there are very many stakeholders. And that's what we're seeing. Like there's no kind of one person having the value chain. So, so there's no kind of one person being able to connect all these dots. Um, right. And the other is that uh, it's very local. And when something is very local, it doesn't get the same pressure from digitization that kind of international businesses get. Because they get pressured from everywhere. But if you can kind of work in your little space of the world and nobody can kind of come in and take that from you, it's harder to kind of feel the pressure. And I think that's also one of the reasons. Right. But with it, again, kind of tightly coupled with that question, being a least digitized kind of industry, how has it been to even collect the data points Mm. to be able to do what you do? Yeah. It, it's it's hard, <laughs> but we also try to get around that by doing as much as possible ourselves, which is a kind of, of course, uh, ambitious approach as well. But it's we do a lot of our own simulations and physical world modeling, which means that we don't need that much data. And in the same way, we try to rely on when it comes to all these local things, which is also a lot of it's uh, it's very soft. It's like preferences and. What do the uh, with the people in the area think and so on? This is something architects are really good at. So we provide the platform in, in such a way that they can kind of translate these local things into the type of parameters that are more general. And they can do that really easily. And that makes it saves us a lot of effort into kind of creating a more general product that can scale across areas, basically. All right. And just for the context, can you outline what the competitive landscape is like? So do you have competitors? What do they do? What do you do differently? How big is the industry in general of AI in construction? When we started, this the concept of what we do wasn't described uh, even in academia. So we we, we found it even hard to kind of define what we did. now, there at least more investment in this space, but we still don't know of any other company that speaks about creating a digital value chain and, and kind of has that as because we think that's the big value, not kind of creating new tools. 
we're creating kind of something for that works for across every stakeholder, right? So in that sense, we still consider the manual process uh, that we have today uh, our biggest competitor because there's like a huge number of developments going on at any given time, and like uh, now all of them are kind of still manual. So who are your competitors? Like, well, do, like uh, which companies are your competitors uh, in the sector? We, we like it, it, to us, it's experience as a green field. It's not like right. when we when we come to a real estate developer, it's not like they can, can compare us to something else. Okay, that's really interesting. So, what are your challenges then? What is needed uh, to for this technology to be adopted more widely? Let's say. It, it's uh, when when your competitor is like what, what, uh, what's being done today, right? You, you kind of have to do all the disruption yourself, and disruption is a kind of a, a overused word, but but this really like in the sense that you have to change your way of working. A lot of people have to change the way they work. Uh, this is really true for for what we do because the whole point is that they come together and collaborate and see value in information like moving between different stakeholders. And you kind of take that uh, in a digital value chain. So when everyone's used to kind of staying in their own backyard and having their tool and doing their stuff, um, that that requires them to have an interest in change. And it, it becomes even harder when, like, even though the real estate developer kind of uh, is funding the process, engineers and architects and contractors are used to having their kind of uh, service model that's that's not built around this kind of really integrated experience so there's a lot of kind of inertia in that mm -hmm. that that we have to face and we have to so it, it, in that sense it's a little bit it's, it's not that unique for a kind of b2b product that you have to create value for the ones funding it and also for the users right but we really have to focus on that to make this uh, to, to make the impact of the different user stakeholders really strong in the product so they want to use it mm -hmm. architects engineers and so on and also the value creation for the ones funding it um Change could be hard for anybody, let alone a very uh, established industry. Mm. So what's that journey been like thus far, trying to get people to kind of go on that? It's been, it's been a great uh, experience, to be honest. It's, uh, we expected it to be hard and expected it to be difficult for people to, uh, to transform. So it's, if you try to at least start with a, a little bit more patience than you would have with someone that's digital from before and, and have a kind of... Uh, empathy for for the fact that this is really disruptive to them. Um, I think, uh, and it's always kind of when you start something, timing is important, right? So I think that the the industry is feeling that they should digitize. They're kind of feeling a, a kind of a, a pressure, but they don't really know what to do. So when you have something that's tangible and they can also understand the value of, and they can connect to that, this will actually make us more efficient and let us work in a different way. They're open to that. So the kind of getting to the table has not been that hard, uh, but getting actual helping people to create value for themselves because we create a self-service mm -hmm. cloud-based tool, right? We're not consulting. That's that's kind of the hard part, and, and getting them to to see how that's really changing things for them. But we we have a lot of examples now um, of companies really taking this in, and we just signed a deal with one of the largest developers in 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 the Nordics, Obos. They have over six thousand uh, housing units under development at any given time, so there's a lot of families being affected, and. Uh, they're uh, making SpaceMaker a standard for all their development. So they're changing their entire construction process and development process That's to impressive. Build, build it on our platform. So right. uh, th that actually uh, creates significant change and that we think is really cool. 
Do your customers mostly build residential units? So we, we started in residential because that's the biggest kind of urban challenge when you think of this urban explosion. Um, so, and the, actually the hardest requirement. So it has, has kind of uh, the really strong effect. Um, so we, we're focused mostly on residential, but we're moving into other verticals uh, soon. And com- uh, commercial, ha- like office buildings and retail, will probably be the first. But right. if you think of this problem of manual process and, and uh, actually waterfall process, it's no, no digital people like waterfall process, right? So, but in construction, that's the way you do it. So, all of these different verticals, like uh, hotels and hospitals, and even roads and, and other kind of infrastructure, they work in really, really slow ways. Mm-hmm. And the world is moving so fast that it always always becomes a problem for them as well, like to to actually be able to adapt during a planning process. And we think we can help with that in other verticals as well. Um, but of course, we'll see. <laughs> right. So you are a European company. You started uh, in uh, Oslo, but uh, now expanded to the US. What are the big differences between working in this industry in Europe and in the in the US? Well, to be honest, we uh, we haven't uh, really uh, uh, attacked that yet. So we have a, a research office in Boston, but we've been really careful and maybe too careful. It's we're European, uh, right? But we. Because this is so disruptive, we want to really nail and have a repeatable way of of uh, introducing this into companies in a way that they can succeed themselves. Right. Otherwise, we need to do so much consulting and helping them. So even though we get we get inbound approaches from all over the world, from all continents, uh, basically, which is really really cool, and that's because this problem is global, right? But we really feel we can't help them until we can kind of create a model that will repeatedly make them help themselves really fast, mm-hmm. and we're getting there. So. We have the research office in Boston, and we will introduce it into the U.S. soon. But I'm, I'm not. Sh- it might be uh, during the next 12 months. It might be more. So we're, we're doing very well in Scandinavia now. Uh, mm-hmm. We're of course well established in Norway um, and uh, working with developers in Sweden and also in Finland. And we have talks with large real estate developers in Western Europe. And when we kind of see that we're, we've done this in a couple of countries, kind of entering the market and also taking these. There are always some subtle local differences, right? Yeah, that course. we have to take into account. Uh, just uh, translating, basically, and seeing that that uh, that works, then we'll kind of roll it out more massively. Uh, but the U.S., of course, as like we see our markets more like cities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, so we also kind of think of it that way. So we might kind of move into cities in, in the U.S. Not, uh, before we kind of say that we're doing the whole country. That makes perfect sense. So to round this up, let's uh, look at the bigger picture. Can you outline your vision for the cities of the future? What is what is going to be in like 100 years? I don't know. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, all the talk of smart cities and everything is interesting, but I, I'm not like we're not into kind of uh, the Jetsons uh, kind of uh, future. It's more like we believe that with what we do and hopefully what others would do in the same kind of space, we can create cities that are sustainable and great to live in and that can uh, do that without sacrificing the environment and the sustainable future of of everyone else and in a hundred years a lot of the buildings that we will build today will still stand so we have to fix that now and that's that's kind of uh, what's our vision is that we will play a part in that in every city of the world soon but like from the layman's point of view what is going to be the biggest change on the street in a hundred years? Like, what will you not see? What do you think, or what will you see that's not there right now? Well, I, I'm I'm sure you'll see. Uh, hopefully, you'll see less of the things that's problematic today, like uh, congestion and and cars, I guess, right. and more environments that are more human, 
and and more adapted to how what 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 kind of makes humans happy. But I I don't think anyone has the answer to exactly how that would look. Uh, some I, I'm excited to see how that would look, but that we that we have the the power to create those spaces that people really like respond to and, and love to live in and. Like there's the, all these problems of, of course, like short lifespans and everything, but yeah. you have depression and a lot of things that kind of affects you when you have low quality housing and low quality cities. So I think there's uh, there's a huge potential there. Right, uh, David, Carl, thank you so much for this. Uh, thanks for taking the time to yeah. talk and uh, good luck. I yeah. do hope to see more nice buildings around. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at Andri at TechEU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the day and talk to you in our next normal episode on Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>